Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And we're bringing you another one of our live YouTube post-game shows that will be also partly used as our next episode of the podcast, episode 404. But the Disney dream is over. The Whitecaps bowed out. Heartbreaking fashion, it's always horrible to lose in the lottery of penalties. It means there's no Canadian teams left in Orlando. We'll delve into all the ins and outs of the game. We don't really have any set schedule for this. We'll just kind of chew the fat, take your questions in the chat, read your comments as well from the chat and on Twitter. But before we get into that, just what was your overall feeling about the, the match tonight? How did you feel the tactical sense of it went? Were you disappointed that we didn't maybe attack more? Or was this the best game plan that you feel with what the Whitecaps had that MDS could have gone for? I was a little bit surprised. Uh, <laughs> I was a little bit surprised again. Uh, I think I mentioned to you guys before game that um, uh, that Theo was top, uh, starting up top alone with, um, I guess they called it 4-4-1 or, or whatever, with Inbaum as as kind of the, the 10 10 attacking midfielder behind him. Uh, I was a, uh, not shocked, but a little bit surprised by that. It also felt like due to the David Milinkovic um, injury that they're unable to um, either start him uh, or stagger their weapons off the bench the way that they have in other games. So um, I think starting to home, I think starting to home was probably good for them in the end, but I was a, I would have thought they would have liked to have kept had like a Dahomey or Milinkovic later on in the game. So I was a, a little bit surprised that they didn't put Raposo in the, in that spot and try because like it seems like in both these games part of their plan was let's just get to the end and then and then it's a sprint to the finish uh, or to the penalty spot um, and and we'll we'll see what we can do. Last game worked out really well. This game they were down another element of their team and I think that that really really hurt them because. Uh, Inbaum had to play very deep. And even though he had some better attacking moments than he's had all tournament, I don't think it was uh, enough for them, obviously, going forward. Um, I, I, I'm more to the point that I think this is the only option they really had. Um, uh, that, you know, uh, sure, Inbaum playing up top might have been not the best thing. Maybe a Tybert who could have put a little bit more pressure. 
on uh, on the Kansas City back line. But I didn't see them even uh, having that as an option of applying pressure because the fact that I think the whole game they only used one sub. And I, uh, did anybody ask about man management to MDS in the post game? No, it was, uh, it was a strange <laughs> post game. Because there was no options. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only other thing that he could have done is, is bring Raposo on. I would have done that because Theo Bear looked pretty dead on his feet in the in the closing five, ten minutes. And, and I maybe just brought Ryan on just to try and give him the ball, run at that defence and, and see what happened. But we'll, we'll, we'll come to all, all of that. I think it's fair to say Kansas City deserved to win. They deserved to go through. They were the better team. And for all we can talk about a battling performance and a gritty performance... If KC had taken the numerous amount of chances that they had, and like Johnny Russell squandered loads, I owe him a few packets of chocolate digesters and some jam for that. But I mean, they could have been out of sight if they'd taken those chances. Some good saves from Thomas Asal, some good defending from the guys as well. But I don't think anyone could have come away from that match feeling that the Whitecaps really deserved to win it. Yeah, they 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 didn't have very many good chances. I think. Um... I think I remember uh, the Ali Adnan, obviously the late free kick that really uh, ruffled Tamilia a little bit. Uh, there was a chance Theo Bear had. Um, I, I can't remember in the 40th or 50th minute mark where yeah. um, where he looked like he had, was in a good position. It couldn't get a really shot. And actually, I I uh, scared my wife because I was watching the uh, the game on the thing, and she was watching Sherlock on the TV. And I yelled, uh, it was a tense situation to Sherlock, and I yelled for the bear thing and it scared her so she turned off the game and left at that point because she was too freaked out um so <laughs> uh, but but overall i thought it was it was exactly what they needed to do and you wish they could have gone a little bit more chances here and there but really nothing nothing available uh, kansas city played a perfect game even though you know you don't you, you wanted them to finish chances for them uh but overall they controlled the game there was no there's no yeah. really uh, channels for Vancouver to get into. Yeah, there, there, were, there were a couple of uh, promising attacking moments, and uh, including the one you're talking about where Theo Bear did well to create space for a shot, but then, you know, the shot itself was a little bit weak. There was yeah. a free you mentioned I agree with. There's one or two other moments where the buildup was good, but yeah. uh, the shooting opportunity wasn't there. The other one that, uh, again, going back to Imbom and him having some flashes of, of positive offensive contribution, um, he had the one shot with his left foot from outside the box that I, uh, I mean, Amelia had to make the save. I think it would have at least hit the crossbar. Um, it was one of the brighter, brighter moments in the game. But when you're talking about the Whitecaps in this game and maybe, maybe the tournament as a whole, there's, I think there's a lot of, there should be a lot of questions or concerns just about their, their movement on the field and, and how that, how they play. Um, they're like the beginning of the game today, the offensive players, and I don't think it was just because of how they were playing defensive and their inability to transition into the offense, but the spacing between the players was like just seemed out of whack. Yeah, inconsistent. A lot of inconsistency in the space. It wasn't even inconsistent. It was just that it was it was poor. Like it was such big yeah. gap between players that players had very little option, and so they either tried to force something or they just got closed down. The other, the other thing about that is that goes along with that, that I think later in the game, it's tired legs, I know, and all that kind of stuff. But their movement away from the ball is something yeah. that really, really needs to be worked on because there's, there's so many times in that game where one or two players are working really hard in the, in the, in the offensive half, let's say, 
are working really hard to make something happen and no one is moving. And I know, mm. I know we talked in the past before, some have said maybe, and maybe this was last year and whatever, or different time or earlier in the year before other things have been done. But there has been talk that MDS, and I know other coaches have done this as well, but MDS talks about wanting to let the players uh, play more freely in the final third, to, to, to be creative, to have, have, to have the ability just to, uh, to attack in the moment and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's valid in, in one, one respect for professional footballers. But when you look at how they've been doing that, even in this tournament and all the circumstances that come with it, uh, I think you you can't help but look at it and say there's a lot that needs to be worked on there, and there should be less openness to just the fluidity of what people want to do or, or 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 where they're at in the moment. And there should be definitely some work more run work being done more on what the runs they are they want to have and the movement that they want to have because I think that could have helped them even uh, continue to overachieve in this tournament today had they been a little bit more on in that sense. And I think there was a couple of times too. There was one particular moment when I remember, even not even in the final third, like in the buildup, they were controlling a lot of play on the left hand side, and then they they were switching the ball to the right where they got it to Jake. And then the thing is, they moved the ball over, but the players didn't move over with the ball. And then Jake got the ball, and he had nowhere to get it to, so he basically tried to split the two attacking players and lost the ball. And it was just a giveaway at that point. And the prior buildup was, or the movement of the ball was really good, but it was just that. Once they got to the other side, he had nothing to, nothing, no outlet to get it to. So they gotta, you're right. They, not only in the final third, but other parts of the uh, pitch too, that they gotta move with the ball and 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 create options. I mean, if if we look at the stats, I mean, it, it kind of shows KC's dominance. Possession wise, KC had sixty two and a half percent of the possession. They had thirty six shots, but only eight of them were in target. Of course, none of them went in the back of the net. So there you go. And 22 off target with six blocks. The Whitecaps, by comparison, had eight shots and only five of those on target. No off target, but three were blocked. But, I mean, to give up that amount of shots is risky in any game. In a knockout game in particular, I think it is. But the defence on the whole looked pretty good. MDS touched on it after the match. That's 180 plus minutes now that the Whitecaps have not given a goal up. So it's after the third goal went in against Seattle. From that moment on, they've not given a goal up in this tournament. So, I mean, that is a positive to take from it. And we saw it in Robbo's years. If you get the defence right, it gives you something to build on. It gives you a base to build on. And then you just need the attacking pieces there. It has felt, though, apart from some small bursts, like the, the small burst in that Chicago game... The last few minutes tonight, I thought that the Whitecats did pretty well, but we just don't seem to have that burst. And I know we're missing the likes of Cavallini, Ricketts, guys that, that would maybe have done that. Do you think it was the right decision to keep Reyna on the bench? First of all, to start with, and then did he come on early enough? Or do you think the way that Mark had wanted to play it out, that was like perfect? I think I think I I I think he should have came on earlier, and I think the player he should have came on earlier for was Theo Bear. Um, I do like the way Theo Bear played, especially holding up play. I think that helped him a lot in the buildup of when they wanted to do. He, he had a couple of really good uh, times when he, he got the ball, stopped it, let everybody come up and get get into position. Uh, but overall, I thought he would. I think the 
the problem is the reason why they didn't bring him on so early was because they didn't want to take the Obear off and they, and they didn't want to put uh, uh, both of those players, uh, sorry, uh, like Reyna with Imbomb. Uh, and, and then in that position. So I think that's the reason why he didn't come on earlier. But I would have liked to see him come on at the 60th minute, even the 55th minute. But I guess maybe because they didn't know about injuries too. They didn't know who they were going to take off because uh, they didn't have very many options. So they had to keep their options open at that point too. I, I, to be honest, Steve, I was feeling that actually in the game. I was like, man, they really got to bring Jordy on. They really got to bring Jordy on. Yeah. But in the end, I didn't really mind how, how they did it. Um, it didn't work out for them, obviously, mm-hmm. but I didn't mind how they did it because I really think Jordy, they, Jordy had some, he, Jordy and Christian kind of had, or Dahomey had some some good passes with each other and stuff, and they missed each other a couple of times, but they couldn't pull anything off. But I, I thought that giving him, like, whatever, those eight, 18 plus six minutes, I thought was kind of sufficient, um, sufficient enough. I was a little bit worried when I think TSN announced that um, he was coming on for Bear, and I thought mm. I didn't. I didn't like that. Uh, I think you needed some kind of presence up, up front. Uh, but I, even though I didn't want Bear to come off, I, I mean, I texted you, I messaged you guys this or whatever. But I, I really thought as soon as they brought him on and they left Bear on, it felt like uh, you know Dahomey was tired and Adnan was a little bit tired, and it felt like they were really going to get caught out in the middle because when you yeah. took out Imbom who was playing as like a 10 attacking midfielder, but really he was doing a lot of help in the midfielder, in the midfield, yeah. doing a lot of work. Advanced state. Yeah, it really felt like, it really felt like um, uh, Kansas City was going to be able just to play through the middle really easy. Just some give and go. And they did it a few times. Like you saw them, you saw them attack the middle a little bit with just some give and goes. And a couple guys just said, I'm just going to play the ball past these tired midfielders and run. Um you know, again, it didn't work out for Kansas City, you know, uh, you know, during the 90 minutes. But if I was Peter Vermees, I would have been so happy to see that sub uh, and, and, the, and how, how Vancouver sort of aligned after, after that. Uh, I, I think they won't care because it went through, but I think Peter Vermees will be like, we should have taken more advantage of the space and the numbers that we had in central midfield yeah. in Baltimore. I think if the Caps had gone through... Peter Vermees' post-game press conference would have been very interesting. I would love to have known what, what he said in that. It, it was interesting. And I kind of touched about this in, in the Extra podcast. This was something that was asked to Peter Vermees in his pre-game press conference, which was, there's no points on the line. Do you guys... He, they, I think the exact wording was, I know you're not going to go out and tank a game, but do you guys not just want to maybe get home now? And when I watched TFC earlier, that was kind of the feeling I had from TFC. It was like they had kind of checked out and they just wanted to get home. But the Whitecaps, they wanted to be there. They still wanted to be there. And there was an interesting... I only went into Mark DeSantis's, uh post-game press conference. Thomas Hassal and Russell Tybert were next up, but I wanted to get the start, so I didn't stay for that. But someone's just sent me uh, Alex from Between the Sticks. I had tweeted out, Tiber said, I don't like the phrase depleted squad. We didn't play like it here. Our team showed heart. But saying it's a depleted squad has got nothing to do with showing heart. A depleted squad just means the numbers aren't there. Yeah, I think Tiber's got the, the, the definitions mixed up there. Uh, so I, I, that's fine. He obviously got it mixed up with what the person was trying to ask and what he, the answer he was giving. Um, the... 
the one thing that I will say about, yeah, I do agree with you there that the one thing you can't dismiss them on is that they didn't play, uh, you know, f- uh, with heart or whatever you want to say, pl- play all out. They were not giving it in like Toronto, TFC did, it seemed like. Um, I think somebody, retwe- I think Anna retweeted somebody earlier on Twitter and said that uh, it was a reminder to Whitecaps fans that unless you win this thing, there's no point of this tournament. This tournament is yep. pointless, especially the knockout stages. Um, yep. uh, I don't even know. Is there any advantage? You said there's a, a CONCACAF birth. The, the, whoever uh, wins is, the overall tournament it? gets in the CONCACAF yeah. Champions League and then there's a million dollars in prize money. So other than that, there's nothing. No, I mean, the, the group games that counts towards the regular season, so that's worthwhile. But yeah, from this point onwards, like if you're a team in this competition, like let's see FC Cincinnati, the chances of you winning this is pretty slim. So why hang about any longer than you need to hang about? Did they, did they, have they picked up a trophy at all? Or are they going to wait till like the last weekend to pick up a trophy for the, whoever wins this thing? I, I have to see what shops are open. And I don't know yeah. what malls are open with the engraving. But I, I, they'll work something out, I'm sure. Maybe they'll pick up something on the side of the road or something like that. Yeah, see Chris Jericho's left anything lying around. Yeah. No, but here, I mean, here's the thing though, right? Um, I think you're a professional footballer. So you I don't, am? you want. No, I mean oh. the pl- these players in this tournament. You you want to win, right? I, yeah. I, I'm sure the yeah. whole where they are and what's going on in the world plays a, a, a role mentally for sure, no doubt. But you still want to win, right? Like I enjoyed Michael. I enjoyed last episode. Uh, I enjoyed the clip you shared with, with Brian Schmetzer, uh, I, a person who I have a lot of respect for, even though I really don't like his club. I think he has a, a, a good understanding of what a football club is and what his role is. And he's, you know, he was questioned about whether or not his team really wanted to be there in those yeah, first couple it's games. It's the most whatever. stupid question. Yeah, and and he said, and he said, we every football game we play, we want to win. And I think it's the same for for all professional footballers. And my limited uh, experience with them, especially close up in and around games, uh, has has shown me that over the years that they do not like to lose, they do not like to draw, they do not like to be eliminated from things. And so that's one element. The CONCACAF Champions League thing, I think is also may not be hugely significant, especially in the round of 16. Might not be hugely on their hearts or their minds, but I think it is significant. And then think about however this money gets broken up, I think is significant. Uh, Just think of, you know, especially especially for this Whitecaps team, maybe in some ways it's more significant because you don't have as many starters here. here Yeah, they're going to get a bigger share. Yeah, so the, <laughs> yeah. whatever the bonus would be, some of them might, might be almost, you know, barely significant in comparison to their annual salary. So I think that, that for anyone at their job, when That's you know fair. there's a bonus on the line, I think you want to play for it. So I, I don't have any questions about, about Vancouver's effort at all, uh, especially, especially in these last two games. Uh, I think the effort was was, was, was – was really apparent to anyone who, you know, watched the full games. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the deple- depleted thing. I mean, they're depleted, and that's not a knock against in their effort, and that's not a knock against, uh, you know, uh, anyone individually or anything like that. And so I, I think that's unfortunate that Rusty answered that question that way. We won't go through much of the game because there really isn't too much to talk about. There's a couple of incidents I, I want to highlight just to, to finish off this part. First of all, I, I would argue... Kinder could have got a second yellow and been sent off for KC, but I weigh that up by saying Gutierrez was also a lucky lad and could have got a second yellow and got sent off to the Whitecaps. So, balanced itself out. 
but do you think either did deserve a second yellow? I, I like I told you guys as we were you know messaging during yeah. the game. I think Gutierrez is far more lucky to have stayed on the pitch than than Kinda. I see the case for Kinda. I think he was okay to be let off the way he was. Um, but that that second that second tackle by I mean the first tackle by Gutierrez in MLS I could have seen him sent off for that even though yeah. I had, yeah. it, it didn't look bad at first I thought and then when you see oh. the other angle and it's right on his ankle you're like eee. when you see now, the other the guy, angle, the guy did stop in front of him so when you stop you stop mm. in front of somebody it's hard to you know control yourself the se- but uh, also the second Gutierrez one there was an arm on him. Like basically grabbing him as well, pulling him down. Like the, if you see if from the other angle, and I'm, I totally understand that you're saying the the two the two legs kind of did constitute, but you can see a pull there. I think if you because he gave Kinda the second chance, even though that was might have been a off yellow, maybe a yellow, maybe not a yellow, because he gave him off. That's why he gave Gutierrez off, possibly. Yeah, but they're not equal things, man. When you clamp like that, Steve, with those two, when you go in two footed like that, and you scissor or clamp or whatever, like. That's like always a yellow card when you when you play the player that way. Like I, I, he was extremely, extremely fortunate in my opinion. The, the, I mean, the only real things I know from the Whitecaps' point of view during the normal game, there was a couple of shots. There was that spell where they forced three, four corners, I think it was, and you had the the Wong effort that was tipped over, and then there was the homies effort had been tipped over before that. That that was a good little spell. And it, it was a it was a bit like the Chicago game where they just caught that lightning in a bottle for that those few minutes, whereas in Chicago it went in the back of the net. They're coming up against a much better keeper, obviously, obviously in in Tim Tim Melia. But that and the Ali Adnan kind of free kick. I mean that was pretty pretty good as well. But obviously we're going to talk about Thomas Asal as well. Over the course of 90 minutes, he certainly saved the White Caps, had a couple of good saves. What was going through your mind when he took that head knock? Because I thought, this is just made for the story of how the White Caps are going to go out. Or it's going to be Ali Adnan, a, a cult hero, as he fends off all the saves and then saves five in the penalty shootout. It, it was funny that earlier today I was on YouTube and I was just checking out random videos, you know, the recommendations that pop up. And one of the recommendations was outfield players taking over for goalkeepers, oh. a compilation. And it just happened to pop up today. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a couple, a couple. There was one Aston Villa one. I can't remember. I can't remember any of the names now. There's one that John Terry took over for in Chelsea, uh, for one too. Uh, but, uh, but that's the first thing that came to my mind because you can see right away. I guess they knew. The camera people knew because the camera went right to Ali Adnan to show him when he went down. Um, but when you look at the replay, uh, you could see that he was in pain, but he, you could see there was no knockout thing. Like he didn't yeah. look like he was knocked out at any point. So that's why. And uh, was there a player earlier, uh, Dahomey? I think Dahomey was checked for concussion oh, yeah, too at one yeah. point. Yeah. So that there was, was a, a couple of concern. Yeah, there were a couple of knocks there that would have been uh, really bad for them. But it looked like he was fine. The guy was the guy was ultimately amazing today. Like I thought, yeah. he made some really good saves. His movement from back to uh, side to side was really good. The Kinda save early on was really good. Um, the, the I know he I, he only saved one out of three, four or whatever, which is pretty good average actually for a goalkeeper. But the fact the way he stands on the line and the way he gives that little smirk or like it looks yeah. like he's like. I want to nickname him the Joker or something like that because he has that little <laughs> smirk as 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 he, people are coming up. So 
it, it was he was like he was there was no there was no tenseness in him when going into the penalty shootout. Yeah, where people might say that uh, uh, Melia was nervous, but maybe Melia is more intense. It was I don't think he was nervous, Melia, but he was more intense. Where uh, uh, Hassal was completely relaxed in that yeah, play, they, in that play. They said they said it on the broadcast, right? Like the the uh, I mean, intensity is more to lose. Oh yeah, if you're Thomas, yeah. you got nothing to lose. If you're Melia, yeah. you got everything to lose. Uh, his his whole clapping of hands and banging the bar again, like his attempted diving header outside the box the other day, reminded me a little bit of Manuel Neuer because I've seen him do that before. Maybe he's not uh, his goalkeeping uh, hero, but maybe uh, maybe that is someone that has influenced him. I but- did ask him who his hero was when we interviewed him back in February. I can't remember who he said. I'll I'll try and check that out. But I mean that it was no no at the end of the ninety minutes. It kind of looked like that was how it was going. I was gonna tweet that out. But I thought, no, folk here are very big in their jinxes and stuff. So I didn't want to be held responsible for that. But I, it did make me wear my T-shirt for tonight. Uh, goals are overrated. The beauty is in the struggle. Which was a T-shirt I offered to, to buy for Carl Robinson for him to wear when he was giving a team talk. And he said, huh, can you imagine if I walked into the, the locker room wearing that? This was when they were going through their, their spell and not scoring. I really should have got him it. That would have been hilarious. But, penalties it was. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, we'll be back talking about that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. This is the sound of an electric guitar. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part was the final song from this month's Artist of the Month here on AFTN, Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, with R-U-B-B-I-S-H, or Rubbish if you want to call it. Their standalone third single that was released in June 1990, didn't chart then, was re-released January 1992, reached number 14 in the UK charts. Did you enjoy this month's selection from Carter? I hope you did, because they're not quite finished yet. What I decided to do for this episode, the last one in July, 
There were so many good Carter songs that I was struggling to pick from, so I thought I would make tonight's three of a kind. Also, from Carter USM. So there's no guessing what the link is. The link is all that they're songs by Carter. They're also all B-sides, and they're also all cover versions, because that was one thing that Carter were very well known for, especially in their early singles, was doing some fantastic cover versions of some really good songs. And we're going to bring you three of those to kick off parts three, four, and five. But let's get back now to our Whitecaps Sporting Kansas City post-game chat. So, the penalty shootout. When I went to penalties, I already had my headline. I tweeted it out, got in early, that the Whitecaps... They, the way they played, it was kind of ugly. So it'd be like the ugly sisters would become Cinderella, the Cinderella story of the MLS thing. It'd be a Disney fairy tale. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. Instead, we got some ugly penalties. They were not good penalties. Now, Dahomey, I don't think that was a bad penalty. He tried to place it. The goals are a little bit wider in Colombia. So, I mean, that's that's... That was that was a hit the inside of the post and still bounced out. Usually when it hits the inside yeah, of the post, it, it'll go in. in, but it actually bounced out. So that was the, the I thought the, who was the second one? Owosu. Owosu, yeah, that was yeah. not a good one. That was no, lucky. That was that he, well, he yeah. got it in, but it was a it was a lucky little flight of yeah. ball. Derek's was not good. Uh, yeah, yeah, the homey was the only one who who took uh whose take was somewhat quality. I agree with you. The yeah. other three were really, really yeah, Reina as well. Actually, well, we, Reina's we was the, I think Reina's was the worst one out yeah. of all three. At least, at least uh, uh, Cornelius uh, nailed it with some power or something like that. Hopefully, maybe it gets through him. But uh, yeah, Reina's, but, I don't know. But see, penalties are more, even more so nowadays. I think an art form. Keepers yeah. more study players. They study, you know, statistics He's, and, and then probabilities of you know how bodies are shaped and where you're standing and all that kind of stuff. And like. I, like I know, Michael, we were talking about this. You say the Whitecaps they do some penalties at the end of every practice, but yeah, it, it did not. They did not look like a team. I mean, not that Kansas City was great, but the Whitecaps did not look like a team uh, that had uh, been spending the last couple of days preparing for a match that could have ended in penalties. Like, uh, where was Ali Adnan taking a penalty? Was he? I, the I fifth think he guy? would have been the fifth. Yeah, I think he would have been. Well, why? Usually, when you keep, you don't normally keep your well. I'm assuming he's the best penalty killer, but a uh, penalty taker. Uh, but why would you save your best penalty taker for the last one? You want you want that quick start and get uh, mm. less confidence for the keeper that you're posing. Yeah, it's an interesting. Like I, I've seen different coaches do different things over the years. A lot of them do put their best guy up. I was happy that we were taken first. I thought, great, I wanted us to get first, put the pressure on. But then as soon as the homie missed, I was like, nah, that's going to be it. Now. Fair, fair play to Thomas. He saved one. He got his hand on one as well, and two. Of the, oh yeah, yeah. Two. One. One of the Lucio's was he his is was just off past his fingertips. Yeah. So he guessed right on that one too. There was only one he didn't guess right at all. But we did get a message in the YouTube chat. Get some more messages in if you're watching this stream from Prog Tim, who said he's very proud of the boys. But what's the point of having ro- rules about keepers leaving the line early when Melia left early on two of the ones he stopped? Now I've got to say I. Didn't notice that. I have to watch that back. But yeah, interesting if that is the case. Did you guys notice that? No, I didn't notice that. The only one I noticed was the um, the first one for that. His all his, uh, his uh, it was that um, uh, triple kick 
that the everybody's taking now, the hop, skip, and a kick. Oh, that, yeah, uh, people I don't do like with that. Their no, I, and that that that, that, that was, was the one where I I think it should be because if you're gonna have to if you want keepers to stay on the line, yeah, then you shouldn't be doing this like um, uh, it should be a straightforward kick, not like a delayed motion or something like that. Yeah, and if you do if if you do that delayed motion, sorry, exactly. If you do that delayed motion, you shouldn't the goalkeeper shouldn't be penalized for coming off the line then at that point. Run up, hop, step, speak. I. <laughs> I agree. I don't. I don't like those penalties at all. Even though one of my favorite penalty takers, Robert Lewandowski, is you know that's one of his main forms of taking a penalty. Um, but that's what I'm talking about in terms of it being an art form now. Like mm. I, I personally think the rules should probably hinder anything like that. I, I like when they stop. You couldn't do that. That whole stutter or whatever. You, you know, you have to have the forward motion going, going or whatever. Which is now players have found ways to kind of. Um, to keep their forward motion while psyching out the keeper or whatever, like uh, Alan uh, Polito did on, on his. Um, but that, uh, that when I say penalties are an art form, that you have to you have to work at that. They cannot be an add-on, that, especially when you're going to a match where you, a whole bunch of players are going to be taking them. You need to have players who are working at them and, and not just going up there and being like, ah, uh, you know, as I'm walking up, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to put it over here. No, they, they need to know going in I used to tell my players when I would coach youth players, like, look, if you miss, you get stopped, I'm okay. I'm going to ask you when you go back, if you put the ball where you wanted it to go. I just want you to make a decision before you get there and to put it there. And, that, and, that, and that's it. And, 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 you know, if you get stopped, fair enough. If, if, you, if you miss hit it, fair enough. If it goes over, fair enough. But I want, like, you need to go with, like, a, you need to go with a determination and a plan. And, uh, yeah, I think professional players should – like they didn't the penalties again even the, even a couple of the the KC ones did not look like they weren't quality like the one Thomas mm-hmm. saved it was a good save don't get me wrong but the placement and the pace of it was 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 not good but i think that was one where Hassal uh, um uh, uh deked out the the penalty taker because he went one way and then went back the other way I think making the uh, taker think he was going to go that way the advice I always gave when I was coaching the kids was you hit it as hard as you can, straight down the middle, aim for the keeper's nuts. If it goes in because he's dived, great. If it doesn't and it hits him square in the nuts, he's ruled out for the next couple of kicks, so you, you've got more of a chance. Not coaching, advice. Yeah, not coaching youth anymore. I don't know if I... But it works. What you, Russell's nuts got uh, hit a little bit there. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. Was he just pretending that, or because the that 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 hit his hand? Yeah. His, you don't. His hand yeah, hit him. Hit, hit himself, or it's no, a Scottish you, you thing. Your hand's always down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I, mean. I was going to say that to you, mm. Michael. It's like when we we were watching the the game earlier, and when Gary Mackay Stephen came on for New York City FC, my new Scottish bud in MLS. I'd said to Caitlin, oh, here he is, he's Scottish. And she looked up at the screen and she's like, he looks ill. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's just how Scottish people look. They're really, really pale. You got to understand that uh, guys and uh, uh, have a, that, that part of the region and their hands have a special relationship. So when their mm-hmm. hands get hit, it's a, it's a very simpatico relationship where they feel it everywhere. Anyway. So I finished now. Now the white caps are out. They're going home. If you listen to this on the podcast, we'll play a little bit of audio now from both head coaches. So we'll have 
SKC's Peter Vermees up first, then a little bit from the gaffer MDS. And so proud of the guys for them staying focused and concentrated because they deserve the to advance. They deserve to, to win the game. So it was uh, a yeah, very good performance and, and good execution at the end. Uh, Peter, you, you were talking about the defense. Uh, you know, it's been one of the things maybe the, the, the late, you know, the first game when, when you, the defense maybe let down. That didn't happen here this time. And, and also really the chances they got, they got a couple of, times they got the ball down the field but there, there always seemed to be someone there is that just a a product of of you know the team maturing or better preparation better matchups what, what what do you what do you attribute that to incredible coaching um no uh no look i i think that the guys are um i, I think some of it is, is is confidence um and i think some of it is is uh feeling good about the things that we're doing in training and then executing in the games. You know, as I said, I think if you look at the way we played against Salt Lake, um, we didn't give any chances away against a very, very good team. And then today we really didn't give any chances away. And I think the guys are gaining confidence in that world that I think has a lot to do with um, reading of the game, has to do with the work that the guys are doing um off the ball and we're collapsing with more than just one or two guys around the player we're collapsing with three and four sometimes and we're not giving teams a lot of space on the ball and i think that's really really good and then the other thing is we're getting a lot better with second balls which is something that we uh struggled we've always struggled with a little bit and uh we've gotten a lot better um this group is actually doing a really good job with it so uh all those things are helping and uh yeah everybody's defending everybody's working hard and the other thing too is i think that we're starting to get more pressure up top um, because I think that our fitness is, is definitely increasing. I know, I know the answer oftentimes on this one is, is both, right? Like, because it's a team game, right? The offense and the defense, they, they feed off each other. But, you know, you, you were so aggressive offensively. Did that really allow the defense to loosen up, or was it the fact that the defense was so tight really allowed you guys to get so far forward and be so aggressive? I know that's how Vancouver plays, so they kind of invite that style, but – but still, you guys play with a ton of confidence up front, even though you didn't get a goal. We, we did. I mean, we moved the ball well, and we created great chances. You know, you got to give their goalkeeper a lot of credit. The kid, uh, young kid did a good job. Um, you know, we could have, you know, there's some situations. Sometimes you can be, uh, obviously, a lot more clinical. You can be, uh, you know, more concentrated, all those things. But, you know, sometimes when they don't happen, you also can't lose yourself. And we didn't do that today. And I think, you know, I think the question is actually a good one. I think one thing you have to take into consideration is that, you still have to maintain a high level of concentration when you have the ball a lot like we did in the game, especially defensively. And so what, what tends to happen is, is that you, you have to keep a compact group um, to make sure that all of a sudden you don't get picked apart because now all of a sudden you're kind of pressing, pressing, pressing for a goal and you, you open yourself at the back. And I thought we had good balance in our attack. Um, and, I, and I do think that the guys, uh, you know, they just, their active defending in today's game was actually really, really good. It wasn't an easy game to play. Looking ahead to this next match against Philadelphia, uh, what's the approach and what are the things that you want to see from the team and work on ahead of that one? Yeah, it'll be it'll definitely be a different game. Um, you know, they have a lot of energy, that team. Uh, they 
you know, from front to back are, are very solid. Their team plays on both sides of the ball for sure really, really well. There's, there's, not, there's not a lot of holes in, in, in their group. And so, um, yeah, we expect it to be a really, really tough match um, for us. And uh, it'll be different. We're at 8 o'clock, I think, the game is. So, you know, we're going from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. to 8 p.m. And who knows? We'll see where the next one goes, hopefully, after that if we get through. I thought tactically our approach, how we, we, we covered the ground, how we, we wanted to go about the game, the effort of everyone was fantastic. Um, we tried to put ourselves in a position that in the second half we could have finished in our opportunities. There's two very close ones. I think a shot that got deflected from Tio that was so close. Then a very good a free kick from Ali that was that was close. Look, my guys are fantastic. The the foundations of this group and the foundations of what we could be about are it's great. And I I'm very excited to see how this group is gonna look like uh, when we're gonna be able to work with uh, consistency with everyone. Uh, very young team in the in the field today. Incredible professionalism, effort. We did everything we could. And then penalty shots, it's 50-50, uh, you know. I saw Maradona miss. I saw Platini miss. I saw Ronaldinho miss. You know, then it happens. Uh, but I'm very proud of the group. I'm very proud of our guys. And I'm very proud of the staff. Not only the technical staff, the medical, everybody that came here with the right attitude. And every time there was a, 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 a setback or a problem, the attitude of the staff, of everyone in the club and the players was, was incredible. So we're leaving this tournament stronger, that's for sure. Obviously, uh, you're going to be sitting disappointed there just now with how you went out, but... What was the message that you gave to the guys in the dressing room once they came back in off the pitch? I, I spoke to the staff. I spoke to the staff and to the players, letting everybody know that I'm proud of everyone. I'm proud of how after we conceded seven goals in two games, how we were able, without really training, to readjust things and not concede a goal in the last 180 or more minutes. Uh, being a team that, that was very organized and knowing what we wanted to do in, in the last two games, it was clear. And uh, our guys are coming out of this stronger, better. Our group is fantastic. Our players that, that worked so much on the field uh, are, are, are a great group of guys and that's why they, they were able to push and do well. And we got out, we got knocked out against a very good team, a very good sporting Kansas City team uh, where we played equal and, and, and where our guys have to be proud of themselves. What can you rescue from the team for the whole tournament knowing that you have players back home that make it, I mean, that they can make this team even better and stronger? Yeah, uh, you know, we just think about the full puzzle. Guys, Bikel, Maxim Kripo, Brian Meredith, Eric Godoy, Andy Rose, David Milinkovic, 
Toss Ricketts, Freddie Montero, Lucas Cavallini, all guys that are, that are out at this moment. So when we, when we look at the full picture, we have to be confident that we're going to make this team grow. Everybody's working hard for that. We lost tonight in penalty shots. We're sad, we're disappointed because we felt that we were close. But then you have to, to put that aside, look at the big picture, look at what we could look like and, and keep, keep working. Um, we're in the right direction as a club. Our, our culture that is being created by everyone is the right one. And we will be a strong club. I'm very confident about that. From day one, uh, knowing that you came in with a diminished team, you never made an excuse for this team and and you knew that they had a, the right mentality for it can you talk about the will of this group and uh, what what they were able to do as a team to be able to get this far despite all the challenges they had yeah i'll tell you this i really believe that my job is to find solutions not to find excuses my job is not to cry and Please, if I, if, I, if I start finding excuses, you guys could, could point it at me and say, hey, Mark, make sure you don't start with excuses because it's not what I'm about. My job is to make sure that I maximize the players that I have and I give everything I can to them. And that's, that's what I want to do. I'm, I get exhausted after games because I want to be with them. I, I want to almost run with them. You know, I feel for them everything they give. And it's a group that I, I love and it's a group that I want to get better with. So my job is that. My job is not to cry about who's not here. Everybody knows what's going on with us. My job is with who's here, how do we find solutions to succeed? And how do I invest my time as a coach to build players and to make them better and to, to make them believe? But today, guys, it's, it's not about... Uh, me or the work, it, it, it's about credit to the mentality of a group that doesn't give up, fought, and that I'm very proud of. So a few things I've written them down that, that MDS kind of said in the in the press conference there. He basically feels that what we saw from the team in this tournament is the foundation of what we as the team can be about. And he thinks that the foundations that are laid are great for the future. He talked about his game plan was to try and just keep it scoreless, and then to go for it in the second half. I would argue, though, that they didn't really go for it in the second half. That, that's that's the only thing. They they had a few forays forward, but they, it didn't look like they were going out all guns blazing to try and get the goal. I think the, the big difference there is that uh, the, the uh, Sporting Kansas City's uh, uh, back line was, well, midfield was much more organized than what Chicago's was. And they didn't open up as much. So that's, I think that's the big difference there. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Steve. This, you're not play, when you're playing Kansas City, you're playing a team uh, that is well-organized. You're playing a team that has a very defined way of playing, and they've been playing it for years. 
Whereas, yeah, you play, you're playing Chicago, you have a new coach, you have a number of new players. Uh, it's, you know, a different, whole different kettle of fish. Um, I think they tried to go for it. They just didn't have uh, as many subs to uh, create, uh, to make a difference, you know? Uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, but the one person maybe they could have brought on and didn't was Raposo, right? I thought yeah, maybe yeah. he could have been a bit of a, uh, you know, especially with such a with what I think he felt with MDS would feel as such limited options. Uh, he, I thought Raposo could have been brought on to to um, uh, to help things out a bit. The only thing I thought about that was because he's young and he's just in the pro ranks from college. Did he maybe feel that keeping Theo on because he knows the system and he would maybe put in a better defensive shift than what Ryan would do, and he just maybe just didn't want to take that risk at that point. It's like, if it's going to be nil-nil, you may as well just go for penalties at that point. Yeah. yeah. Can Michael, can I bring up a question from the chat here? Mm-hmm. Good, good thing, I think, here. Uh, what did you guys think? This is from Darnell Smith. So thanks for the question, Darnell. Uh, what did you guys think of Adnan in front of Gutierrez? I thought we had far better pressure on the ball out wide. Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it against Chicago. We talked about that's what we'd like to see. I didn't think it was as effective tonight as that electric time against Chicago, but I like it. Ali, I spoke to him in the pre-game press conference and one of the questions was about him playing that position. He said he prefers to play left back, but he does like five at the back. And I think that is because it allows him, yeah, to get forward. He's still got the, the cover back there if need be. Tonight, it was good, but it wasn't as good as it could be. But I think that is something to definitely work on. I like Gutierrez. I've, what we've seen of him so far, I think is very good. The thing I, is, with them, with, the, with them playing five at the back, if, if either Rancor or Godoy is that, the middle of the three, I think they're not going to lose anything in, you know, in possession because those guys can handle the ball. And I think that would work really well for them. So I think that without going forward, that might work. But I didn't see any – I know Gutierrez could have got sent off, uh, obviously, with a second yellow card. But overall, defensively, I didn't see any difference. Or I thought it was actually might have been even an improvement over what Adnan offers back there. So I thought it was pretty good. And I thought they really – the left side, uh, we talked about before, they had a good few spells of interlocking play, those two. So I thought it would really work well. Yeah, I think it gives them uh, something to think about for whenever it is they get to play games next. Because I think it yeah. is a, a potential a really good option for them, whether it's a, uh, an every match thing or a situational thing or uh, as they're facing certain kinds of opponents, I think it definitely adds something. And it also does allow Gutierrez to tuck in and Ali to drop deep and, you know, when you're in a, a pressure situation in terms of, maybe trying to hold on to a lead or, or to see a game, you know, to see out a point on the road or whatever. Let, let's get to some of the chats here. So Darnell Smith again says, how great was it to see MDS tactically be competitive despite all his injuries and short recovery? And it, it was good. He did talk about in the build-up to the Chicago game, he wants the fans to see th- what he is as a coach, that he is a leader and that he can get the best out of his team. And... You might say, well, it wasn't too exciting attacking performances, but it was, I think it was what we needed to do. And I, I think he showed some good tactical awareness there. And if you look at his teams in the past, 
the Deltas, when he was with Swope Park and at Ottawa, it was always built out of a solid defence first and foremost. And I think that's really what he has to kind of work on now because the attacking pieces are there, but we are still badly needing a, a decent midfield as well. Yeah, I think the midfield is probably the number one thing. But that that back line has shown, uh, especially, and I think when Eric Godoy gets back and uh, they pick up a few more pieces, especially if they can get uh, that midfield going a little bit to, in, uh, in order to protect them, especially in the wide areas, I think that uh, this back line is going to be pretty solid with Ranko and Godoy uh, leading the way. And um, that, that they, they have, I know, I know, you know, some of the players are still there, but they had to do, they basically done a total rebuild on that back line ever since uh, Kendall Waston left. Even, mm. even I think Kendall Waston's last year, it was that back line wasn't that great. More like when, um, uh, oh, Tim, Barker. Tim, Tim Barker, Barker, yeah, Tim, when Tim Barker left, that was when the, they had that big drop off. So I think bringing Branko, Godoy, I thought, one thing, I thought they, Bucket wrinkle, but I guess they did. They have them on loan for option to purchase. Sorry, I'm... yes, it's a it's a one year loan. Because when I spoke to him, I I asked him about that whether yeah. he's just using this as a shop window to go back to Europe. But he said, "No, I'd like to. My my aim is to stay? get signed permanent to stay here." I yeah, I, I like him. I was, for I, me, I, I been yeah, the one their top three players in this tournament. Yeah, because sure. Hassal's probably the the big takeaway from this. But after that, for me, it's Ranko. I just thought he's been excellent. I was just going to say, tactically, uh, I think the last two games, I think it's fair to give MDS a lot of credit. I think tactically uh, they were lacking in the Seattle game. And obviously that's muddy by the fact that the team they're playing is so superior for them, even with all their players. But I also felt like from a tactical perspective, you need to, you need, they needed to get something from that San Jose game. They needed to see out that, that lead, whether it was, even, even, I mean, it wouldn't have been great if it was a draw, but even if it was a draw, more could. And I know there's all these circumstances around everything, but if, if you just feel like tactically more could have been done in that game to see them get something from it. But I, I, but I, but I have a lot of respect for MDS um, and, uh, and, and the way he approaches the game and how hard he works and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm not saying he you know, is super deficient or anything, but... I think he would like to have the, both those games back um, in terms of how in terms of how both he drew drew things up, and uh, more so the the San Jose game, uh, how they adapted within the game itself. Mm. So, just a couple of quick final things from the chat here. Then we'll take another little break. Team Batesy says he thought things were better offensively wise, but than before the break against Chicago, but it was slanted. Uh, Navid Masinchi says, better team went through, but the guys really put in a shift. That's all you can ask for from this group. Prog Tim says, the mood would be a lot different, he thinks, if Hassal didn't play out of his mind and we'd lost 2 or 3 nil. Possibly. I mean, if, if this had been a hammering tonight, which it could easily have been, I do think the mood of the supporters coming out of it is going to be very different. But you could say that really about a lot of games. Uh, no, so it, true. Yeah, it, it, it depends. It depends on the result all the time. Like, but it, but if you were going to say that the, after the result against Chicago, you think there were a lot more people that were happy about the game instead of criticizing the game. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about that last show. If you couldn't be happy after that and going through, I don't know what you're looking for from from a, a White Cats perspective. But yeah, Michael, you should read Navid's next comment. He says, "Is it ten yeah. wins in forty games though for MDS?" 
We need to look into that. He hasn't won a lot, yes. I mean, it's certainly that, but that's 25%. <laughs> oh, Michael, the next comment is, or the last comment is even better. Tillman D says, I bought some chocolate digestives after listening to the last episode. Do you get a commission for that? Oh, I should get in touch with McVitie. So it's only if you bought the McVitie's ones. If you bought some of the store-bought ones or the Dare ones that they have over here, then then no. So let, let us know what brand. Hopefully it is McVitie's because that is the only one. We are looking at possibly doing some chocolate digestive t-shirts. So there we go. There you go. That's a good way to end this part. So if you listen to it on the podcast, we'll be back with more Whitecaps chat after this. Hi, I'm Johnny Russell and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. You dress me up, I'm your puppet. You buy me things, I love it. You bring me food, I need it. You give me love. I feed it! Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first of tonight's Three of a Kind songs. And if you listen to part two, you'll know that there's no guessing of what the connection is this week. They are all B-sides, all cover versions, by AFTN's Artist of the Month for July, Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. And we kicked off part two with their single Rubbish, And that was a B-side from the single Rubbish. It's a cover of the 1987 Pet Shop Boys single Rent. And a very good version it was indeed. So, a little bit more of what MDS said after the game. He praised his team for the professionalism, the effort, and he feels that they did everything that they could that they're coming out of the tournament stronger and better than they went into it, and that it's going in the right direction as a club, and that we will be a strong club. Now, I mentioned his comments about the foundations of foundations of what this club could be earlier on. Do you feel, considering who wasn't here, the, and looking at what the other teams are in this tournament, that we do have a strong foundation or are we still desperately needing some pieces to really be able to compete in MLS? We know we need a 10. But if you add that 10, and you've got all the players that weren't down there fit and ready to go, obviously we've lost Max Kripal, whether we have Thomas Asal or Brian Meredith going forward for the next little spell will be interesting to see. But do you think we have what it takes to compete, or are we still way off the pace? 
for me, I, I sound, I'm going to sound like a broken record again, but for me, it's the midfield. The midfield uh, is sorely lacking still. Uh, if Mikel comes in there and he's your fourth guy or, or a starter and you knock somebody else to the bench, that might do better. But you're 100% right about the number 10. The number 10 is needed, and that number 10 needs to be either their best player or their second best player on their roster. It uh, doesn't have to be the uh, salary-wise, doesn't have to be the top or second best, but talent-wise and everything like that has to be their best or second best player on their roster. And if they do that, then they have a chance to compete because there are other pieces around. We've seen the, you know, the, the homie, I th- I've been very impressed with him in the, in, uh, from what, you know, the, considering the circumstances, uh, I've been, uh, with it, what he's done in flashes. Um, I didn't expect very much from Milinkovic, but and he didn't. He only showed stuff in flashes, so that's fine. And other players, players have shown flashes, but if, if that number ten comes in there, and uh, I think that they're off and running, and they're in a much better chance to compete with other teams. It's, it's a it's a really good question, Michael. Um, yeah, you have to think that uh, they would be, you know, um, encouraged by by what happened in this tournament. Um, and I think it's it's really helpful for a team and for a squad when you get to have more people involved in in, in something positive. And so I, I think they're going to view this as a positive. And so those players who maybe aren't going to be you know starters with whatever happens for the rest of the season, uh, that might you know spur them on and, and help them to play at their top level or maybe even above themselves when they do uh, get to be in the squad or make appearances or come off the bench or whatever. Uh, I, I do think they are, are lacking and, you know, I won't get it. We won't go into the details of the DP conversation again, but uh, I agree with you both that they need a creative uh, central attacking midfield player. Uh, I mean, I, I would settle for a Johnny Russell who's a wide attacking creative kind of midfield player, but so would I. I think, yeah, but I think I, I really think they need to have that. And we, we, we talk about this all the time, you know, Pedro Morales is the best example of what they've had in the MLS. wasn't perfect, but by far the best example. Uh, you know, my heart wants to say you have to also consider Davide Cumento at the beginning of MLS as well. Although he was very rarely played centrally, he was often shifted wide uh, for other reasons. But you know, you know, another guy that's underrated uh, for a guy he wasn't a midfielder, but he was really good at creating and driving the play was Kenny Miller. Kenny Miller was, I, yeah, he he was a striker, but he usually played behind Camilo a little. Yeah, and I thought he, I thought he was really good at connecting play a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the experience take, factor, though, as well. Yeah, to take that tangent even further, it was, it wasn't even, it, well, yeah, Kenny Miller was his experience and all that, and his abilities were a huge part of that. But it was also the triumphant of him playing with. He had that run where him, Camilo, and and Russell Tybert were yeah. were. Were quite the three, the threesome, yeah. uh, the uh, quite a, quite a, yeah. They were they were quite a creative mix and a goal scoring mix, uh, and that's I don't know if that's the kind of lightning they're going to catch in the bottle really easy in Vancouver and now, but um, but they yeah they need someone who can help create. They they're in desperate need for that. I know earlier I picked on you know the movement and stuff, and again part of the counter to that is that this is not. Uh, their natural, all their natural offensive pieces and all that kind of stuff, but they are still missing some creative offensive uh, pieces that can really, you know, the, the, the language you've used in the past is be a, a game changer, you know, or make yeah. a difference yeah. in the game. And but I mean, you, need- you, you look around the league and you're, you're seeing all these teams that find these pieces and not all of, the, all of them are like from spending money. 
Some of them obviously are. I mean, Diego Valeri didn't cost Portland a lot of money. Look what he's done for them. He's the kind of guy that every club dreams of having somebody like him. But there's some other good number 10s in the league that they've been found and you have to maybe wonder, why aren't they coming here? Is it the fact that we're a Canadian club? Because a lot of these we could afford. Is it our scouting systems let us down over the years? Is it we've relied too much on getting players from certain agencies and, and stuff in, in previous years and maybe didn't have those those talents available? We well, have are they, to. Are they, are, are they trying to get players that are uh, maybe not experienced, like you said, but have up, you know, up value uh, that they can try to sell off or later on, but they don't actually translate? Yeah, and so I, think I think we're doing that too much. It's like, yeah. how many seasons now have we had a coach, whether it's Robo or MDS, or the player themselves talking about, oh, uh, I'm here to put myself in the shop window and, and get a better move, and then they don't perform. Or the coach saying, yeah, there's a lot of upside to him. Or, yeah, he, we, we've seen what he can do, but he was struggling at his current club, so we want to try and reignite him and bring him back to, to what he could be. You can only have a certain amount of that in a team. Last season, we had way too many of them. We had like five or six projects and none of them really came together. We need a finished article. And it's all very well going and spending like six million on Kava. Great. Not going to knock that. He's a great guy. I'm sure he'll get the goals for us once we get back to playing, whenever that's going to be, if he does indeed play. But it's no point having a top striker if you're not getting any creativity to give him the ball. Especially someone like Kava that's maybe not a guy that goes out and makes his own opportunities. Oh, it's it, I, I can't agree with you more, Michael. That's something that, even though they might not say it publicly, that you've you got to think people like MDS and Axel Schuster are you know, dying to, to bring in. Uh, someone, uh, as you described, of that quality and who will be able to contribute in those ways. Um, so that's a lot about the offense. You talk a little bit about the defense earlier, sort of, Michael. But like, do you think that everything's fine at the back? No, I think they're better off. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're. I think they're getting to the point. I think they have the pieces. It's a matter of putting those pieces together. Uh, the only, and I'm, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to knock them, but the only position that I see a weakness on right now is that right side. Not only because uh, uh, it's Jake, but Jake really has no cover because I'd rather see Bikel in the midfield at this point. Mm. So the... Let me put this to you then. Let's assume everyone is fit and healthy and it's the squad that we have because Schuster's basically talked about they're not looking to bring anyone else in. He said that several times now in Zoom chats over the last couple of weeks. So ignore the goalkeeper because I think Thomas Asal will get a run now, but not guaranteed. First of all, what formation do you think we should be playing with who we've got? And then we'll kind of go through who would be the defence and stuff. The formation for me is the tough one because you look at some of the players we've got and you're like overloaded and potentially talented wingers. You're overloaded with maybe defensive central midfielders, but you've still got this big missing piece that's going to link everything together. An interesting thing, I'll be playing this in the next part. Jim Curtin, the Philly head coach, after his game on Saturday night, 
he just said an interesting thing during the game, so I asked him about it afterwards, where he said, at one point, he felt he had five at the back, five up front, and there was absolutely nothing in the middle. And that's how it's felt a little bit for the Whitecaps. Even when we've actually had bodies there, it's felt like we don't. Well, I kind of, for Whitecaps, usually it's five at the back, five in the middle, and nobody up front. That's usually what their problem is. Uh, but uh, I, I, you're saying everybody's healthy, right? Yeah, you're every, saying every, like you've got a full squad to pick from. I think that it's easy for me. Then it's it's you, whether you want to call it a three-five-two or a five-three-two. Um, that's that's the ideal thing because I really like uh, I like the I like those three defenders in the back and allowing Eliadnan and whoever plays on the right side uh, to move up and up the pitch and attack from the wide areas. I think that gives them more width and everything like that. So, Steve, formation, fill it out for us. Who who's playing in those? In well, your- I for me right now at this point, um, I got uh, Godoy and uh, Ranko and either Cornelius and Kamiri in that other th- in that third spot. I got on the right side. You got you put Jake or Bikel in there, and uh, left side you put uh, Gutierrez. Oh, I'm sorry, Adnan. Sorry, and then up. Uh, who else? Who's left? Five, three, two. Okay, so sorry, I'm getting busy. Oh, there's uh, the three up, uh, three in the middle. I I would probably stick in with. Owosu and Imbom for sure, and either put Tybert or Bikel, depending on who you put on the right side. And up top, I got uh, Cavallini and Reina or Dahomey. One of those two. So that, that'd be my yeah. my lineup. It's all about consistency at that point. And it's like, which one of the wingers is going to be consistent? Because we saw it last year. You had Venuto and Bangura. Whichever one was playing was playing crap, and whichever one came off the bench was doing good. So it's like that's not ideal. Hopefully, we don't have a similar situation with that. What What about yourself, Zach? Yeah, like I, I think. Well, I, we, I think we know in MDS's heart he wants to play five three two or three five two. Um, I don't know. I I don't think they have the. I don't think they fully have the players to play that every match. That's that. That's a problem. Like even what Steve said, I think is is not bad. But not only is it maybe not something they could play all the time, I think if you want to bring on subs for that, it's hard to fit them into that formation. Like if you want to bring on uh, Milinkovic, where's he going to go in your 5-3-2 unless he's an out-and-out striker? Or or you're changing the formation, which isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing. But Yeah, uh, I think it would be more changing the formation at that point. But So, yeah, so for me, uh, I've always I've always thought that I mean, they played Peter Vermeers tonight, and I have a lot of respect for him as well, um, despite the taunting back in the, the USL days and early MLS days. Um, I, I think, uh, I, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the past, but the Whitecaps really kind of need to carve out an, an actual identity in terms of playing. And I think if you were able to do I don't, I don't think they will be able to do that really, truly. Um, but if you were able to do that, that would really – help shape things the way it does for someone, a uh, club like Kansas city. Um, but I, I would probably go five, you know, four, uh, four, two, three, one, um, where you can do things like they did tonight in terms of Gutierrez and, and, and Ali together on, on the one side. Um, but with the whole, the whole roster. Yeah. That's a little bit. That's so I'll play, I'll play it a four, two, three, one with the whole roster. So I would go with, um, of the current players, I would go with, uh, I would go with, I would go with Bikel or Godoy as my right back. 
I would go with Ranko and either Godoy or DC as my center back. Um, and then I would go with uh, probably start the game. I would probably start Adnan at, le- at left, uh, truly as a left back. But later in the game, I would look to bring on Gutierrez mm. and push him forward. Uh, and then uh, Owosu and Owosu and I guess Bikel, if he's not at center back, is kind of the holding, um, is the two. And then I guess you have to put Imbom in that, that, <laughs> yeah. that central attacking role, even though I don't think it, it fits him. Uh, and we talk about that lots, and lots of people talk about that lots. And then wide, again, even though it doesn't suit him, you probably got to put Reyna in one of those wide spots. Kava is obviously in the middle, and then either Dahomey or Malinkovic in the other wide spot. Which again, it, it, it feels like um, a lot of, let's put it this way, it feels like a lot of oval pegs in round holes, you know, like mm. not quite right, but, but not totally off, but not perfect. I, I like 4-2-3-1. It's always been a, a position that I've liked. And for me, it's, it's going to be very similar to Zach. I would have Bikel as right back. It's not his favoured position. That's the, the only thing that would concern me about that. But I'd have him as right back with Godoy and Ranko, once they hopefully establish some kind of partnership, I think that's two solid, solid d- defenders back there. With Ali starting at left-back, then if you need to make a switch later on, you bring Guti on and you push Ali further up the pitch. My two holding, I, I might actually put Enbom back there beside Uwusso. For for me, if 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 Bick, Bickle's playing right back, then yeah, I'd put in, yeah. in bomb and I put Reina. Yeah, I'd have Reina like behind Kava within Nahomi and Milinkovic either side of that. I think that's an exciting team. I think it's a team that could do well. There should be creativity there, and if you gave in bomb a kind of free floating role, where he's a six, he's an eight, he's a ten. He, but he's just in that middle channel. You're not getting him go out wide or whatever. I thought he had his best game of the four games in the tournament tonight, but it was a very low bar to begin with because he wasn't great. He had a couple of flashes and there was that time in the second half, yeah, second half, where the White Cats had a break and then he got the ball out wide and then he gave it away. And I'm screaming at my TV, the one thing you just did not want to do there was give it away because we'd pushed everyone up. And then it was a case of scrambling back. So you can't afford to do that. And I don't like ragging on players just because they're designated players. But in this league, it comes with a tag. It comes with expectations. And for me, he's not lived up to that. For a guy that wants to go and play in Europe, he needs to do so much better. I was I was every time in bomb making a mistake or something like that. I was like, "Come on, bomb, prove Zach wrong." That's, that was every time I and I said it out loud too. I, I was like, "Come on, prove Zach wrong." I was just joking to myself. I made myself laugh. I agree. I agree with what Michael said, and I, that's what I said. And as we were chatting about the game as it was going on, like, yeah, there's so much. Uh, he, he maybe he does face so much more criticism, but it's because of. Those things, yeah, his the tag, what, he, what he's what he's getting paid, whatever. Like it, there are expectations that come with that, and he, and he also has shown glimpses of what he can do, and he did even in that game to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, like you said, Michael, he it was his best game of the tournament. Yeah. Which, I, 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 that much. 
I personally think that the three guys in the midfield, if you whether you want to put Bikel, Mbom, Tybert, or 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 Hoosu in there, I think all of them can like almost rotate. Like you could almost rotate them, and they could take, they yeah. could play all. You sometimes you could play Hoosu up front. Sometimes you could like play like they can always take turns uh, pushing and pushing up front. So I, I think they're very interchangeable only because none of them are that pure number ten that you need. So all of them could play kind of that role. So let's bring this back around to what Michael originally asked. Those teams, whether it's my, the one I mentioned, the one Michael mentioned, the one you mentioned, Steve, how competitive do you think that team is in MLS moving forward or in you not, know, the rest, rest of whatever 2020 is or into 2021? Yeah, not enough because of that missing piece. I'm, I'm so, like, I know I hate being, like, repetitive about this, but that missing piece is crucial to them. It doesn't have to be a pure number 10, but it has to be somebody that can play like a number 10. Yeah. I, I think they'd be competitive for a, the last potential playoff spot. I, I don't think they're a bottom of the conference team. But we'll come to what the future might look like in a sec. Last thing we'll talk about then in this part. Prog Tim says he would put Kamiri on the right, which sounds terrifying to me, but Bikel higher up and Godoy, Ranko, and Cornelius in the middle. That sounds so, like four center backs. Yeah. I think the the defence is the key, because I think we could be competitive if we're not giving up goals. Because I, I, I fancy Kava, Dahomey, Reyna to, to put some goals away. If we're giving up two or three goals a, a game, it's like no chance. That's why for me, and I, I know you want to end this now but soon, but... Uh, for me, those three guys at the back, like especially Godoy and Renko, they, they've shown an ability to control the ball. So I feel like if you have those two guys definitely in the middle, it allows the other midfielders to push up and then you, you don't have to have like a Tiber come back to collect the ball or you don't have to have another player to collect the ball. You can, those guys can distribute the ball from the back. So I think that would work better. Yeah. A couple of things I was going to quickly mention. The, some tweets because... I'd ask what the mood of the fan base was like during the game because I know there's a lot of fans that like to see more attacking football than trying to grind out a nil-nil draw and get to penalties. So like we had comments such as from Sky Buller who said, from odds makers' worst team and everyone's saying we won't get a point to being top 13 with 11 players missing by the end, I'll take it, proud of the effort. But then you've got Ryan Burns at Authentic Me 13 who says that he doesn't like to see small successes championed as positives when they are actually negatives. And he feels that we grow from expecting better and not accepting failure. He wants better and he hopes for a, a culture in the city and amongst the fan base that, that does that. He feels that saying that they had done well to get out of the group, etc., etc., was being too charitable. And that if we are to grow as a club and supporters, we need to call out not being good enough while still wanting it to be better. Think that's fair? Yeah, that's fair. You can definitely call it out, but you also have to take into account what they were dealing with. Like, you, you could say that they're, uh, they haven't established a culture, but they, prior to this tournament, they only played two games. Mm. So how much of an effect did they have to establish that over the season? That they were, that, I think this is the season they wanted to do that, where they, they wanted to establish something. And when you play two games... One of them was a very surprising win against the Galaxy. Nobody expected that. The first game was obviously very disappointing. Then they came back with the surprise. They had to shut down. 
And then, you know, so many months later, they got to go to a bubble with half their team or majority of their starters missing. You can't, you, you could definitely want more and want better, but you also have to take into account what they went through. Michael, who's the tweet from again? Uh, Ryan Burns. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, get that, I get that in one sense. Uh, but uh, aside, aside from the, um, uh, I, like I, I believe what Steve said is very important. But aside from that, like if, if we go back to the discussion we had earlier about what we think the best lineup and best formation to make them competitive is, I don't see that, that team, uh, one, winning a lot, but two, and maybe more importantly, I don't see them playing football that's going to be crazy exciting for people yeah. like home games. Mm. One of the things about this tournament is, is you didn't have to perform for home games. I think yep. Stephen Egan talked about last week in terms of how that affected scores and, and, and even some results and some attitudes within matches that you know, uh, impacted the, the overall result. So like, I know some people like yourself, Michael, have the perspective of, hey, if, if every game is like LA away, we win 1-0. It's not pretty. We nick a goal. I don't care. We won. We got the three points. We're, we're going the right way in the table, all that kind of stuff. But I think in the modern era, that's like not, that's not just not good enough for some people. And so uh, I think in MLS, you can't, you, I think it's hard to do both. And I think we've seen other coaches in this city uh, at, at this organization get in trouble for not get in trouble, but uh, have dealing with perception issues over, winning but not winning well or winning with having you know 30 percent possession or whatever and so i think they're going to have the same thing I, I think with knowing all the limitations of c said not just for this tournament but for the organization in general you can't have both and i think it's going to be very difficult for mark de santos to both get results and do it in a way that makes people happy yeah We'll see what happens. Um, might get a chat with MDS during the week and we'll bring it on next week's show just to kind of see what the future holds in store. I asked him a little bit about the future in the, the press conference tonight and I asked that as well during the TFC press conference because no one really knows what's going to happen. So we're going to look at that in part five. But for now, we're going to round off this part with this week's wavelength. And we're going back to 1998 for this week's song. And a ska punk band hailing from Detroit, Michigan, The Insiders. This is a song from their Fight of My Life album, and it's called Game Day. I knew that in a cowboy. 
Detroit ska-punk band The Insiders there with a song from the 1997 album Fight of My Life. That was Game Day. Played, of course, because Sunday, the day that we're recording this show, was the Whitecaps Game Day. Sadly, a day that did not go the way that we all hoped. Who knows when the next Game Day is actually going to be? We'll be back with more chat after this. Hi, I'm Derek Cornelius and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine cover, this time hit by the Sugar Cubes, the Icelandic band that sparked the career of Bjork. That was a single they released in 1991, the lead single from their final studio album, Stick Around for Joy. It's a single which I, I also bought. But that is a really good version there by Carter. If you haven't heard the original, check that out, see how it compares. I kind of think I, I prefer Carter's version. And that song was taken from their 1993 single, Lean On Me, I Won't Fall Over, which was the song we actually played from the band in last week's show. I've got one more Carter song to come, and that's going to be kicking off the final part of tonight's show. So that is half of the round of 16 matches in the books already. Two games took place on Saturday, two took place on Sunday. So we've already looked at the Whitecaps against SKC. Let's have a quick look at the other three matches that's taken place so far. Bring you a little bit of post-game audio from those as well, because there's a lot of Canadian interest in these matches. So the action got underway on Saturday, early evening. Well, I say action. It wasn't exactly an action-packed game between Orlando City and Montreal Impact. Orlando pretty much dominated this game. They controlled the possession, they had more shots. But overall, there was only actually three shots on target for the whole game. Two by Orlando, one by Montreal. Orlando did get a goal ruled out for offside just before half-time. But on the hour mark, up popped Tesho Akindele. And the Canadian had one of the simplest tap-ins, I think, that you're going to see in this tournament. And he described it afterwards as one of the easiest goals of his career so far. And the reason for that, if you haven't seen it, was a horrible defensive play by Montreal. What a fanny. Yep, Rod Fanny playing the ball back to Clement Diop. Diop couldn't control it. The ball ran over his foot into the path of Akindele, who had an open net in front of him and he had the easiest jobs of tapping it home. And to be honest, it never really looked that Montreal were going to get back into this one. And it was a very disappointing way for Montreal to have gone out of the tournament, really. On the plus side, they have gone home, taken three points from the group games, which is enough to have put them into the playoff positions in the Eastern Conference. So that's certainly a positive. And that was actually one of the questions that I asked in the post-game to impact players Samuel Piet and Juca Raitala. So let's hear what they had to tell me after the match. It's a disappointing way to go out the tournament, but you go home sitting in the playoff spot. No one really knows what's happening for the, the rest of the season, but what do you feel the team can take out of this tournament to, to bring into whatever is the rest of the season? Yeah, again, I mean, like, I honestly felt until this game that we, we really started to play better if I think about the first game going forward from there I think we performed better DC was was good game and I'm glad with the, with the clean sheet we managed to get and uh, you know today today was was tough especially the first half they they really hurt us on on our sides they played very well uh, we didn't um, what I want to take back we're obviously happy to to play games for 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 a long time but you know we we We'll continue continue working hard, and, and as soon as we get back on the field, we have to be better. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously we would have liked to collect more points, uh, but let's not forget we're sitting in the fifth fifth spot uh, in the East. Like you said, this is a playoff spot, and that's what we, we wanted to accomplish uh, first in this tournament. Obviously, we wanted to go all the way. Uh, we knew it was a, a tough tournament, and the way we played against Toronto and DC, we strongly believe that we, we could have beat anybody. Um, like I said, I think we, we started the game the first half really flat, and I, I felt that set the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, like I said, we tried to push hard. In the second half, uh, we didn't give up anything, but unfortunately it was too little, too short. But I mean, like Juka said, it was, it was good to be uh, back on the pitch. It was good to be back with, with the guys, and I think there's a lot of learnings from this tournament on how we played, and then we take, we take these tapes look, uh, going forward for whatever is coming and waiting for us after this. Saint-Pierre and Jukaraitala there just talking about what they can take from this tournament and into whatever the rest of the season does look like, and we're going to come to that in the next part of the show. But I think it's safe to say it was not a very happy Thierry Henry after the match, after watching that performance from his team. Rightly so. He criticised him heavily in the first game for really not showing any fire, not showing any passion, kind of desire. And it wasn't there in plentiful supplies against Orlando. It was there against TFC and they lost that one. But they got over the line against DC United to make it into the knockout round. But one of the big talking points after the game from the local Montreal media was his team's lack of attacking prowess. As I mentioned, just one shot on target they had during that whole match. The attack certainly seemed very impotent. I mean, you're talking about one of the all-time greatest strikers to have played in Europe that is in charge of this team. I mean, that is obviously going to be a surprise, but that is also clearly something that rankles Henri and not something that he agrees with. So I'm going to bring you a little bit of Henri's post-game press conference. We are going to be covering the, the lack of attacking threat from the side, but we're going to kick things off with my first question of the press conference, which, again, was just on what he can take away from this tournament after what was a, a disappointing final performance against Orlando. So here's Thierry Henry. Just, obviously, it's a, a disappointing way that you've gone out of the tournament tonight, but when you look back at what's happened, you've finished the tournament in the playoff places, what are your main takeaways now for whatever the rest of this MLS season is going to look like? Well, we knew it was going to be a different game tonight because it's a knockout game. Uh, we, we had to beat DC obviously to carry on and uh, and to go back in the playoff spot and, and that's what we did uh, before we leave this tournament nobody knows what's going to happen that's where we are right now um, like I said you know it, we all know the circumstances it was the same for everybody it was always going to be tiredness mistakes at time but like I said you know um, it didn't work out for, uh, for us today uh, we were a bit better against DC uh, defensively uh, today didn't happen so far, your team have been outshot by the opposition in all but one game. In terms of improving this team from an attacking standpoint, is it the personnel or the system that needs to adapt, perhaps? Well, when you look at our... I don't know if you follow us since the beginning of the season, we score goals. Have a look. We score goals. But we also concede, so we need to find the right balance. Do not, do not want to comment too much on, on the goal and, and the mishap between Rod and Clement... Uh, 
what what did you see from your vantage point? Do you think that Diop touched it? And if so, would it have been offside if he didn't? Uh, I don't actually know. I didn't. Uh, you know, we 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 at the end of the tournament. Yes, the goal. What what it was. Uh, I've seen, unfortunately, that so many times in my career. So you, you don't really have to comment on the, on what happened. It is what it is. But I'm proud of my players. Uh, I'm not trying to find any excuses. It is a fact to stay here for a month uh, and deal what we had to deal with, and still trying to perform. Uh, we phase one, phase two, being everybody uh, physically, still come here and try to perform. They, the guys gave their all. Uh, obviously, it's the same for everybody. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I have to look after my guys. So that's all I can say. Uh, we tried our best. We're in the playoff spot uh, in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, well, yes, we do have to improve. That is for sure. But it's for only only five games into the league, and obviously we have we have games here. But it's still early for me. The process is still uh, uh, on. Uh, still have to try to find the right balance defensively and offensively. Uh, but like I said to your colleague before, we we do score goals. If you look at uh, we drew two two against Dallas in the league. We scored uh, two against New England uh, back home at the beginning of the season. We lost against them one 0 We lost four three. Against uh, against Toronto, we we won 1-0 and today we lost 1-0. Uh, so we score goals. I don't know why your 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 one of your colleagues was saying that before. We need to find the right balance. But I just arrived here. So uh, not very happy, but not very pissed off, Thierry Henry. I, I guess you could say after the game. But Montreal do head home, as I say, in a playoff spot now. Three points from the group games has left them sitting fifth. In the Eastern Conference standings, Orlando sitting third in the Eastern Conference standings right now, just one point behind Toronto, with Columbus Crew leading the way there with 13 points so far from their five games, unbeaten on the year, as are TFC on league play. Come to them shortly as to how they got on in the knockout round on Sunday. Orlando now move on to the quarterfinals, which will take place on Friday. And they have a tough job ahead of them. They're going to be playing the winners of the Seattle Sounders LAFC game that that takes place on Monday night. You obviously have to fancy the Sounders or LAFC in that one. But with the the home advantage, the heat advantage that Orlando's got, and also it has to be said, the way that Oscar Perea has turned this team around. They're playing some really nice football. They've got some dangerous pieces out there. tell you, I would not write them off at this point of the competition. Now the other game on Saturday night was also a one-goal affair. Philadelphia Union getting the better of New England, 1-0. Sergio Santos getting the winning goal in the 63rd minute. It was a really good finish from him as well, with a great ball as well played in by Montero to set the goal up. But it was a match where Philadelphia were very happy just to to give New England the, the ball and... And New England just weren't really able to do anything with it. New England outshot the the Union 18-12. to 12. Only five each, though, for both sides on target. The crucial one, of course, being Philly's goal. And New England, they seemed the better team throughout. But Andre Blake came up with some very big stops. Philly head coach Jim Curtin said after the match that he believes Blake is the best goalkeeper in MLS. And he certainly had a really good outing in this one. It was all a little bit too much, though, for Rev's grumpy head coach, Bruce Arena, after the match. Got a red card, sent off after the final whistle for abusive language towards the officials. He also skipped out of the post-game press conference, 
which I think technically once you are sent off, you, you, you're not allowed to attend it. That's what happened with Carl Robinson when he got sent off at BC Place once. But you could have put your assistant up and said he left it for two players to, to kind of have to deal with everything after the final whistle. But it was a great win for the Union, very hard fought. Liked what the Union have done in this competition so far. I'm just going to bring you a little bit now of the post-game audio from Philly head coach Jim Curtin. Uh, you know, a very professional performance uh, from the group. Uh, obviously, uh, an elimination game is something that you don't get very often. Uh, you either get it in MLS playoffs or US Open Cup. Um, so to have an extra competition, to have uh, an elimination game is something that is uh, important for our young players, important for our old players uh, to experience. Uh, I thought overall, uh, we handled it uh, very well in terms of how we defended as a team uh, for the course of 90 minutes. Obviously, Andre uh, made some saves again for us, which is always uh, necessary against a good team like New England. Uh, I thought that the play, uh, in particular, of our outside backs defensively was was excellent, uh, whether it was making a tackle or a big block or a clearance. I think sometimes we, um, you know, we just expect them to be solid each and every game. So it, it's a time where I think I can single them out and, and give them a little bit of praise. You know, the job that Ray's done all competition uh, has been excellent. Uh, Kai as well. Uh, center backs have been solid. Uh, the midfield's been been clicking a little bit better and better as, as the games have gone on. Um, we still can probably do a little bit better uh, with our final ball and, and getting more goals and, and shot attempts. But uh, when you look at the data, a lot of a lot more penalty area entries, so we were a little more dangerous. Uh, and overall, like I said, a, a professional performance from from start to finish, and that's what was needed against the good New England team. Seems like your team has gotten really comfortable playing against the ball when you have to. Um, defending shape, uh, all the cues. Could you talk a little about sort of the automation that you guys have worked on? It seems like the the, the years together are starting to, to really show themselves. Yeah, I think, you know, look, it's no secret. We always start in a 4-4-2 diamond. Um, we have an ability to to wear teams down a little bit uh, and then bring in, you know, Ilsenio and, and change to a 4-2-3-1. Uh, regardless of the formation that we're in, uh, each opponent's different, but we have pressing cues that, that, that kind of trigger our uh, ability to get to the ball uh, you know we're, we're good at pressing any straight ball that's a real cue for our guys uh, and we want the ball to be on certain parts of the field and our guys did a really good job of that tonight uh, and then it comes down to two just winning your 1v1 duels and, and uh, more times than not tonight our guys came out of those duels with the ball at their feet I thought Jose was you know he wasn't perfect with the ball but defensively he broke up a ton for us um, had a strong performance. Even Warren coming in late, uh, getting his, his foot on a couple things to break him up. So uh, defensively, I think uh, our line stayed nice and compact. Uh, we try to keep it as close to 35 yards front to back from from Casper, our striker, to, to Mark McKenzie, our center back, uh, for the entirety of the 90 minutes. And it's proven that we're pretty tough to play through right now. And obviously it helps when you have uh, the best goalkeeper in the league to bail you out when you need them as well. So um, we take pride in defense first. Uh, and our, our good defense usually leads to our uh, chances offensively in our counters, uh, and, and tonight was no different. Happy to get a win. You mentioned during the broadcast that you felt at one point you were playing with a back five and a front five right. with no levels to pass through. How how did that come about, and how do you, how easy is that to address before the quarterfinal that's coming up? Yeah. So what what happened a lot in the first half was you know Jose was was coming deep almost into the back line, so we had a level of you know five players rather than you know our outside backs being higher, creating a level in, in front of their wingers. So their front three was able to press our five, 
And then our reaction naturally from the, the attacking players, the two strikers, uh, Brendan, Ali, and Miro, was to just run in deep and, and think the only option we had was a long ball. Uh, so basically we had a bunch of guys in the front line standing there with their hands up to try to get a ball in behind. And we had a line of five in the back and, and kind of nothing in the middle. Um, you know, once we started to get our outside backs a little bit higher and then Miro started to come uh, a little bit deeper and find, find the ball. Uh, and then a couple times now, Casper created a level and came off the strikers while Sergio still occupied both center backs. Uh, a lot of little movements started to happen in the second half that gave us uh, a little more time and space, which again, we weren't perfect on the night, but uh, it got better as the second half went. And now we have to uh, improve that now, even going f further in this competition as we play, uh, you know, good teams every, every time out now. Jim, before all this started, we talked a lot about the Open Cup as being kind of an example of a knockout competition. Being in the knockout rounds now, did, did it have a feel of an Open Cup game? Or, you know, what, what, what did, how did it feel differently than the, the group stage tonight? Leading into it all week, we talked about it being, you know, trying to create a playoff feel to the game. Obviously, we don't have fans here. That's no secret. But um, the game still had an intensity to it. Uh, the players still had a mentality that one mistake and this thing is over. So uh, the players want to survive in advance. Uh, I think they showed that on the field. They played well. Uh, again, are there little mistakes we can still clean up? Absolutely. But... Uh, again, you only get so many opportunities to play in elimination games uh, during the course of a season, and this is a, a big opportunity for us, and we want to continue to push uh, as far as possible. You know, the Open Cup, uh, MLS, like I mentioned, and then the playoffs are the two chances, and now this is a new unique opportunity for us to play uh, games of consequence, and if you lose, it's over. So a delighted and very honest Jim Curtin after the Union's win over the Revolution there. And that was a, a win that had the Whitecaps fans watching because whoever won from the Sporting Kansas City Whitecaps game was going to be taking on Philly on Thursday evening. And as we know now, that team is Sporting Kansas City. And that should be a, a pretty good encounter on Thursday night. Hard to call a winner in it. Might just give Philly the, the tip of the hand just to the way that they've looked so good defensively in, in this tournament at times. Finished second in their group and, and just gave up two goals a, along the way. And that was definitely a matchup as well. I would have fancied that the Whitecaps, and I thought that the Caps were in a good side of the bracket if they had only made it past KC. But not to be. So the early match on Sunday saw the other Canadian team, Toronto FC, in action against Old Foes NYCFC. I think heading into this one, Toronto would have been favourites in a, a lot of people's eyes, especially the way that NYC maybe hadn't performed to their capabilities during the tournament. But they got off to the perfect start. Jesus Medina, five minutes in, firing New York City into the lead. And they doubled that ten minutes into the second half. Valentin Castellanos with Maxi Morellas making it 3-0, nine minutes from time. Patrick Mullins did pull one back for TFC three minutes before the end of the game, but it was too little too late. TFC out of the competition, and it was a pretty flat performance relief from TFC in the end. Right from the start, they just didn't seem to have the energy levels. It felt like they were a team that basically... Knew there was no league points on the line, so they just wanted to head home. Sure, that wasn't the case, but that certainly is how it felt watching the game. 
After NYC took the lead though, they came a little bit back into the match, but for the most part, you kind of felt that NYC were really in, con- in control of the game. They hit the woodwork a couple of times, had a few good chances, and it was a, a disappointing way for TFC to go out. All three Canadian teams really leaving the, the tournament in disappointing ways, with disappointing performances to varying degrees. TFC, though, do go home with five points from the group games, sitting second now in the Eastern Conference standings on nine points, four behind league leaders Columbus. And it sets things up nicely for whatever is to come for the MLS season. So I'm going to bring you a little bit of post-game audio now. Again, just looking at what TFC can take from the tournament and just looking a little bit ahead to the future. So we're going to hear first of all from Captain Michael Bradley and then from head coach Greg Vanny. You're going home with five points. It's leaving you sitting second in the East now. We saw the breakout of of Iowa during the games as well. What other takeaways do you feel the team can take now to whatever the rest of the season is going to look like? Yeah, the biggest takeaway is is that we you know we picked up five points and and we have you know four games under our belt and, and obviously after after a long layoff, um, you know it, it the, the games are so important you know obviously we were everybody was training in in their you know in their home market but without any without any real without any real ability to, to, to play games other than other than some some inner squad type stuff um, and so obviously when you come here and now you you know you get four games four 90 minutes under, under your belt that part is that part's really really important and, and again we'll we'll recover from this um, mentally and physically and then make sure that we're we're ready to continue to, to push uh, push things in training over this next stretch so that we're ready for whatever comes next. Yeah, I take back. Uh, I'm pleased that again we took um, at least five points out of it. It keeps us right there in the towards the top of the uh, Eastern Conference. Fifteen games unbeaten in regular season play. I'll take that. Um, we're going to continue to try to build off of that when we get back to play. We've got uh, we're getting guys towards fitness. This is, I mean, essentially in terms of fitness, is a preseason tournament. So we're getting guys towards fitness. We're getting uh, you know guys who are not super healthy. We're starting to get them more healthy. Uh, we have a guy like Io who has a, a breakout tournament, and he shows that he's going to be a, a viable part of our team this year and and can play in this league and score goals in this league, which is nice. We see some more young guys. So there, this is a, it's a tournament this beginning of the year. Of course, we wanted to win it, but it's also about information, and it's about growing as a group, and it's, uh, sometimes it's about being humbled and, and, uh, and seeing where you still need to get better. That's part of the process that, that every season is about, and uh, we'll try to grow and get better out of this. That's going to be our intention, and that is our expectation, and we will because we will take a look and we'll continue to improve. Greg, understanding that this is post-game, uh, maybe not the best time to ask, but we also don't know when we'll get to speak to you next. Do you have an idea what comes next for your team as a Canadian team, and, and how do you plan with that kind of uncertainty in terms of what the rest of the season will look like? Uh, I don't know exactly what things will look like. Uh, you know, it sounds like the league will kick off again sometime in, in the middle part of August. Uh, I assume and believe that that will include us. What does that exactly mean for the Canadian teams? I'm not 100% sure yet. I think that's still a little bit of work in progress, but uh, something will get worked out. We, we know we're going to probably have to adapt given the circumstances. We'll, again, we'll figure out what that looks like. Uh, so, 
Um, what we're going to do is we'll go back, we'll recover, get our legs back under us, and then we'll start to prepare for, um, you know, whatever this regular season will ultimately look like. But we have some a rough estimate that it's going to be the middle of August, so we'll start to prepare ourselves for, uh, for that. Who our opponents will be, we don't know right away, but again, we'll figure that out as we get there. Michael Bradley and Greg Vanny there just talking about what they can take for the tournament and an eye to the future as to what that might hold in store. No one really knows for definite what is going to be left of the MLS season. There was the report that came out on Friday from The Athletics saying that the league looks to get back underway with more matches in about four weeks' time. Huge implications for the three Canadian teams in that regard as well. And we're going to get rejoined by Steve and Zach to chat about that after this. Hi, I'm Andy O'Brien and you're listening to the AFTN radio show. Voices born in faraway trains to take them home to the ones that they love and who love them forever. The days Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this final part, it's our final three of a kind song, our final song this month from Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. Honestly, it is the last song we're going to play from them this month. Taken from their 1992 single, Do Re Mi, So Far So Good, which was another song that we played in the show a couple of weeks back. That was a cover of my all-time favourite song by The Jam, Down in the Tube Station at Midnight. Another very different version to to the original there. In this case, I do prefer the original. As I said, it's my all-time favourite song by The Jam, who are also one of my all-time favourite bands. Anybody that knows their work will know, because AFTN, away from the numbers, is named after a Jam B-side. I remember buying the 7-inch single for Down the Tube Station at midnight and I, I still have it to this very day. So I hope you've enjoyed all the songs from Carter this week, this month. If you want to check them out, check out their albums. There's a lot to choose from. The solo stuff as well from Jim Bob, who's got a new album coming out in August. And also from Fruit Bat, Les Carter, the original Unstoppable Sex Machine. Here's a band called Abdu Japaroff, so you can check them out as well. The first four albums by Carter are all excellent, recommend those, or if you want to just start off with their singles collection, Straw Donkey, go with that. But enough of the music chat, let's get back to the football and going to bring Steve and Zach back at this part because we want to talk about some news that broke late on Friday from The Athletic. It's all about the future plans for the remainder of this season for Major League Soccer. We touched on it at the end of our Chicago Whitecaps post-game show on YouTube on Thursday. 
I thought it was just some weird rumour that I had been told, but turns out no. The plan is to bring MLS back as early as the second or third week of August and have the Canadian teams playing each other in Canada if they're not able to get over the border, which they are not going to be able to do. That would be in phase two of the return plans. There's also a phase three. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it now. So, according to the tentative plan that is in place, the regular season is set to resume on August 22nd, so less than a month away, and also less than two weeks after the final of MLS is back, which is on August 11th. It's going to be in a couple of different phases. Phase one is from August 22nd to September the 13th, with teams playing six games in that period. Now, for the Canadian teams, you've got the problem like the border is going to be closed till August 21st. I would see it extended. I could actually see the border closed for the, the whole year, to, to be honest. I genuinely don't see them reopening it anytime soon unless cases in the States get way down. Now, what that means for Montreal, Toronto and the Whitecaps is unless they get a special exemption, they can't leave the country without having to go back and quarantine for 14 days. The Whitecaps, TFC and the Impact just now, heading home from Orlando, all three teams, they now have to quarantine away from their families even longer, away from everything for two weeks after getting back. They knew that was the case, but that is what the case is going to be. So, the initial plan for phase one, and we'll just look at each phase individually just now, is that the three Canadian teams would remain in Canada and only play against each other during that phase. We talked about it at the end of Thursday's show. You were like, no. I thought it was just a rumour and it was made up, but nope. The murmurs that I was told were true by the looks of it. And it's going to be six games between all the Canadian teams. It's going to be three home, three away, which means the Whitecaps are going to have to head east three times and only one of the eastern teams is going to have to head west twice and the other one's only going to head west once. So already not a fair schedule. Thoughts on it all? I I guess it's something that has to be done at this point. Um, Like I said, I don't think... I'm not confident at all this this season is going to end anyways, like even for America, unless they're just going to ignore all the all the ups, uptick in uh, infections and stuff like that. So if they're going to ignore that, then they, yeah, they might get it done. But they're, right now, if this was another country, they would have shut shut this all the leagues down at this point. If it was any other country in the world, if they had this many infections, there would be no leagues going on at all. And well, not Belarus. Ignore. Because vodka and saunas kill everything in Belarus. Yeah. Sluts are still trapped, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. So yeah, they could play this first phase probably pretty easy. But once they open up this, uh, that phase three, I don't think mm. the border is going to open. I totally agree with you that I think uh, the Canadian teams are just going to be left out to dry. I, or, or they make preparations where they relocate to America. And they play yeah. out of a certain location or something. Well, yeah. Maybe. We'll come to that in a sec. So, Zach, what do you feel about the Canadian teams just playing each other in a non-stop round robin? Or at least six games to start with? 
six games each, so you're playing three times against each team, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound ideal, uh, but I guess we're not living in an ideal time, so. No. Uh, yeah, would you assume this will take place at some place like BC Place, or? Yeah, it's meant to be in their home stadiums, which is problematic then for TFC because you've got the NHL bubble that is set up on Exhibition Park, I think it's called. So BMO's on the same place, so that would be them in the bubble there. So I don't know how that works. Or it doesn't really matter, I guess, because there's no fans in attendance. They could play anywhere in Toronto. Could play in Hamilton. I think if you if they do uh, testing every day or something like that, and they get cleared, then they might be able to get cleared to go into that bubble just for to enter into that stadium. Mm. So that might work fine, as long as they go in and go out right away. Uh, so I think that I I don't see how they can have well, attendance in there, and I think that, I don't think that's going to happen for sure, especially in Canada. Huh, I, think, I think American teams will try that for sure. Yeah, phase I mean, two. USL is doing, right? Sorry, Zach. USL is doing attendance, right? Yeah, USL are. Although touching on that, Alan Koch's Colorado Springs Switchbacks game against Austin Bold on today Sunday was called off because the opposition had tested positive. How many? A lot of players, or I all of them? Can't remember, but it's like for a significant, significant amount. Yeah, yeah, enough to get a game called off while they were for doing sure. more testing. Wait, wait, what is that number? Because we still don't know what it is for MLS. So phase two of MLS's return plan, it want they want to have twelve games from September sixteenth to November eighth. So you'd be having a twenty-three game regular season, which would be two from before everything shut down, the three group games from Orlando, and then you'd have these 18 games after the MLS is back tournament. And they would be played, these 18 games would be played over about an 11-week plan. Now, the tentative plan is also looking at the possibility, and apparently TFC are already moving ahead with this idea, that they will have to shift operations to the US at some point this fall. Now, I think, first of all, that is frankly unacceptable to ask players to relocate for two, three months away from their family to another country. I know the Blue Jays are doing it. You look at the Blue Jays, how many of those players are Canadian? Not a lot. They've probably got family in the States anyway, so it's fine for them being based in the States. We've got a lot of Canadian and foreign players here. If their wives can't come down with them to the States, you've got wives here that don't speak English, they've already been left alone for this this tournament, you cannot expect people to be away from their families and go to the States, where things are, are out of hand in a lot of places just now, for two to three months. If it were to happen, we're going to be in another situation where a lot of our guys are going to decide, I'm not going down, and then we're screwed. Not only that, the Blue Jays are one of the youngest teams in uh, Major League Baseball. So they're, they're, I don't think very many are even have like, uh, they obviously have extended families, but their own like wives and kids, and other, there are very few that have them. So that probably doesn't make a difference to them. Totally agree with you that it, it, it does make it harder. Uh, some players, some obviously uh, families will be able to relocate because they are American. Or, But for, for example, if you look at Vancouver as an example, there's maybe two or three that are, Amer- I think there was only three Americans that were the people that live in America full time. So that's only three families. And the rest are, like you said, foreign or 
who are Canadian. So it does make a huge difference yeah. uh, for them and, and to see if they could relocate. So uh, the walkers asked about this in the comments, Michael. If, you, if we are going to have to relocate to the States to play some of the games, will we still, see, will we still be missing half the squad? Definitely. Uh, I, I think you'll get the, the Colombian will play if they're yeah. actually out of Washington State. Mm-hmm. Then his, his wife's family will presumably get to, you know, maybe be by uh, uh, yeah, her family. Yeah, true, because she's American, so she could go down. Yeah. Yeah, but... I think the I think the only player that might be taken out would be because the only player that was forced out it was uh, Tosin Ricketts, wasn't it? Or yeah, I, I like can see was, Luca not going though. Just yeah, he's already said no. Like, why would he? I mean, if it's in Washington, upper, like northern north north northwestern Washington State, maybe yeah. that's okay. But you're playing but away I, games as well. Remember, so you're going all over the country. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but the, uh, but the thing is with with Luke, I think he his thing was that he they had a family member that just passed away very recently, mm-hmm. so they weren't uh, maybe they weren't emotionally ready to go down there. I don't know. I'm, I'm just uh, I'm 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 just uh, spitballing there, so I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but that could be maybe he's ready to go down if it because by end of August or September, even if uh, maybe his family will be settled in by then and they'll be able to he'll be able to travel because uh, obviously this is not going to happen till September. The second the third phase so that should be fine i'll play a little bit now on the podcast of what mark DeSanta said when i asked him about what the next month looks like for for the white caps after this tournament and interesting comments from mark the future no one really knows exactly what's happening right now but the the plan seems to be that things could restart towards the end of august what does the next month look like for for you guys now no, let's go two weeks at a time because we live in a world that is uh, very inconsistent. We live in a world where some people don't get it, that you have to stay inside and you have to stay home and just wear a mask. I think the humanity has to wake up. This is something serious. And uh, we don't know what's next. We don't know what's next. What we know for the Whitecaps and for our group is when we go back home, we have to stay two weeks quarantined and stay between us and, and go from there and respect what, what the health authorities are going are gonna, to are gonna have to say. And I, I hope, I hope all the cities in our league, just, just man, do your job. Stay home. Do, do your job. Do your job. It's the only way this is going gonna, gonna to stop. So that's what's next for us. What's next for us is two weeks of quarantine home, staying together, and uh, and then we'll see one one uh, one one day at a time, Michael. It's tough. Sorry for me. It's tough for me to tell you what's next. I don't know. So basically, MDS is saying, pleading America to get get their shit in order, and to to stay indoors and to wear masks and to drive the virus down. Otherwise. It, it, to to me, it sounded like he was all for not going ahead with this. And you know what? See if the Whitecaps said, okay, we'll play our games in Canada against Canadian teams, but we're not relocating to the US. If that's the only way we can play, we're not doing it. We're not completing the season. They have my backing 100%. I would not have any qualms about them pulling out at all. I, I just don't think that any Canadian team should be asked to do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. It, 
It's, I mean, I know, again, we're in, we're in kind of extreme times, but, and that, you know, that means we, some of us have to take extreme measures for different things, but yeah, it, it feels, it feels crazy that uh, they're going to have to do this for this period of time. And I, yeah, we do know other sports leaguers are doing that, but they don't have the international, I mean, they have far less international players, I think, in, the, in most of those leagues, um, at least from my, my, my limited perception yeah. of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't I could see the Whitecaps be missing some players for sure, maybe not as many. Like I'm pretty sure Andy Rose would be there, uh, unless the, maybe the the health thing is is too too big of a concern. But um, yeah. we hope to Saint Ricketts they'll be able to allow him to move forward. <laughs> um, I know I, I said that is a worrying one because it's like we obviously don't know what the health condition was that stopped him traveling. Just a couple of other things from from the Athletic article. Nashville and Dallas, because they missed the MLS's back tournament, they have to play each other in an additional three games to make up for their lack of participation in the group stages. Also, Nashville are going to be moving to the Eastern Conference for the rest of 2020. And it's actually 18 teams that's going to make the playoffs, nine from each conference. I missed that when I read it earlier. Just, just let let everyone in. If it's like I said before this tournament started, if sixteen of the twenty six teams are going to make it to the knockoff round, you've got to be pretty shit not to make it. White Cats made it, so obviously we're good. But if you've got eighteen of the twenty six teams now making it to the playoffs, ay ay ay. I think I think that's more that they want to make sure that nobody can complain that it was unfair that you know of the they, they want to take the unfairness out of the whole thing about it being a shortened season. It was unfair that we missed the playoffs. So I think they're just trying to get it. And also, I think they realized last year, with all the excitement over the knockout, the single-game knockout, that that was exciting for fans and, 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 and people tuned in. So I think that's the reason why they probably want to take advantage of it in this kind of season that mm. we're short anyways. Talking to fans... State and local government guidelines will be used to determine whether fans can attend matches. MLS will allow teams to host fans in stadiums if local guidelines permit them to do so. We know that the USL are are doing that in a few places, but not all. So because of that, it's been reported that DC United are exploring hosting games at two venues outside of Washington so they can have fans there. And New York City FC can't use Yankee Stadium, probably because of the baseball. But then, you're talking about level playing fields and fairness. You're going to have some teams that are going to be playing with fans and having maybe a home advantage with fans there, and some teams not playing with fans. So it's not a level playing field. And I don't know if... I would not think... In BC, we'll have fans at BC Place because it, it sounds like 50 is still the, the limit for large gatherings and things like that. So unless you're just letting 50 fans in. Yeah, no, that's still too high for me personally. But 50 fans at BC Place might be okay because you're so, so spread out. I don't know if that's like you're going to have one person in each section. Um, obviously, that that wouldn't make a difference for FC Dallas, but everybody else probably would make a huge difference on how it looks. It'd be like the Cavalry FC game last year. I mean, we talk about fair and balanced. I mean, the, the league hasn't had a fair and balanced schedule since, I think, 2011 or, or 2012 or something. Because we've always talked about how, you know, the supporter shield is a bit painted in that 
you know, teams are not playing the same number of teams, same number of times and all that. And this, this year, again, it's an exceptional year, but it is farcical. There's a lot of this that's farcical. But that is it, I think, for tonight's show. Before we wrap up, obviously the three Canadian teams are out. There's still an amazing 14, 15 days of this tournament left. Obviously not games every day, but it goes on to August 11th. Do you think your interest will remain in watching the rest of it? I've watched every game, either live or fast-forwarding the early morning games. I, I was talking to our good friend Greg Petrie today, and I was saying, I'm watching games, like last night's Philly-New England game. If that was a regular season game or even a playoff game, I wouldn't have watched that live. But because it's a knockout and it's the tournament, I found myself watching it. So I've been watching games I wouldn't normally have watched. As you know, I've been jumping on all these conference calls and just chatting to as many different players and coaches as I can to get stuff for the shows. I've enjoyed doing that. I think I'll still have a good interest in it, but will you guys? I've missed quite a few, especially the early stages. I missed quite a few because I completely forgot the games were on. I wasn't used to the games being on, whether early in the morning or late. I think if I know the games are on, I'll probably have it on in the background, uh, but nothing where I'm like sitting down and actually watching the game. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll help that they're, they're knockout games, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on how much you want to talk about them, Michael. Well, are we, are we, are we going to get there next Sunday to talk about what's happened the last week? or I don't think we'll be doing any more live YouTube shows for a while. So, I mean, oh, the, that's disappointing. Yeah, the, I mean, the Whitecaps are quarantined now for two weeks, so there's definitely no Whitecaps stuff to talk about probably for the, the next two weeks unless anyone breaks the quarantine. Maybe they could pop on on our show if they're doing nothing anyways. Yeah. Live, yeah. Oh, Michael, let's get these great, some great interviews now. I, I toyed with possibly doing a live watch-along for the final, depending on, on who's in the final. I'll do that if you want it. If you want to do it, no problem. I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on then, but I'm not going to... I, I don't know if I could pay attention to these games. They're kind of not that exciting. Orbital says we should talk about NHL or CFL. I could just do my East Fife podcast and just put that out in CITR oh, instead. I, I, I know you. this just actually came out a couple of hours ago. I thought I'd just discuss it with you guys really quickly. It, it was on The Athletic. Uh, apparently, they're going to be players are going to be suing for hundreds of millions of dollars over their wow. statistics. Like in the English Football League, Scottish Football League, uh, other national leagues, they're going to be the tracking data. They're going to be suing for millions of pounds uh, for because it's more than 400 current and for uh, uh, former players. So I I, re- I recommend everybody check that out. It's going to be interesting to see uh, if that happens or not. It, I haven't. I just perused the article. I, I sent it to you guys in the WhatsApp uh, yeah. through WhatsApp. I, and, uh, I saw oh, there. My phone's charging. Are they suing the league, Steve? I think so, or whoever t- t- does the tracking. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's they're giving, they're giving that data the, that data to betting companies, betting companies or other teams that are might have affected their future salaries and stuff like that, uh, because they might not get the salary if it shows their their stats. Their you know those uh, you know the, the you know the money ball stats or whatever aren't very good on them, so it might affect their uh, salaries in the future too. That's what it sounded like to me. I haven't read the whole thing, like I said. Surely there must be something in their contracts about this kind of thing, you would think. Maybe, I guess I maybe there wasn't, or there's, there's not. They, yeah. they, they said it's going to be a precedent-setting lawsuit, so we'll see what it happens here. It'd be interesting to see if this also comes to MLS as well. Mm. 
Anyway, interesting times, and let's see what the future brings. It could be a very interesting end to the year, MLS-wise. CPL was still waiting for news on that as well. So just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For me, it's uh, at ZacharyAM. I'm Michael McCoy. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. On YouTube, well, you're already watching it, but if you're listening to this on the podcast, give us a subscribe on YouTube. Turn on notifications so you know whenever we do any of these live things. And on Instagram at AFT in Soccer. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care. Stay safe. If the Whitecaps players are listening to this, enjoy your quarantine. We're always available to chat. Jump on. It'll be fun. And until we meet again. Thanks for listening. And mon the Caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.